This week's guest leaves a trail of song and harmony wherever she goes. Artist, singer, musician, composer, teacher and choir leader, Isolde Freeth Hale reminds us of the importance of song and singing for bringing people together. Alongside her life as a musician, Isolde has been running choirs for over a decade. Collaborating with the likes of Rachel Dad, Sam Brooks and Cosmo Sheldrake, Izzy's work is just as much about creating community as it is amazing music. If you're listening to this before the 4th of July 2019 and you live anywhere near Bristol, then be sure to come along to the Trinity Centre, where you can hear a sneak preview of her new EP Elements, as well as Cosmo Sheldrake and the full Murmuration Choir. Now to introduce the lady herself, it is my privilege to introduce the track Kismet from her EP Seed Bud Bloom. Older Freeth Hale. Yes, is that how you well pronounced. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> how did you get such a remarkable name? <laughs> well, my father was very much into mythology when um, I was named. I think I was if I was going to be a boy, I was going to be Cosmo. Wow. But my dad wanted to find a name that he didn't know anybody else had, um, which I think he achieved. But there are, believe it or not, many as olders in the world. Um, it's actually quite a popular name. The pronunciation that my father chose was the, the German pronunciation, which the actual roots of those name, uh, that name, that pronunciation, <laughs> means um, ruler of ice. Ruler of ice. Which is way more cool than the, the roots of the Welsh um, version of the name, which is Underhill. Underhill. Yeah. I'd go for ruler of ice. Yeah. Over underhill. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. What I understand is you're not only an artist, a musician, but you're also a performer and a teacher and a choir leader and also a kind of community activist in your own way. And what kind of role did your parents play in that journey? Or how did you find yourself with so many feathers in your hat? Um... I think um, instilling a love of beauty from an early age. Um, yeah, I think my father has an incredible capacity to see the world. Um, it takes about an hour just to walk down the street for him because he will stop and literally smell every rose that there is. <laughs> That's <laughs> amazing. What a lovely image. Really frustrating sometimes, but um, also really lovely. Um, and um, yeah, so I always think of the time that I spent with him as a child as being quite magical in terms mm. of, of, yeah, just really seeing and appreciating the small things. Mm. Um, um, yeah, that are just right under our noses mm. and then celebrating them you know, visually mm. or sonically, as mm. I guess I choose to do now more. Um, How did you become an artist? 
because this idea fascinates me like when when is it that we you go from being interested in something or just playing mm. to to finding yourself in the identity of being an artist and and what was that journey for you so all four of my grandparents and both of my parents are artists some of them deceased were artists um so it it feels very um much like it wasn't an option <laughs> and I try believe me I tried to rebel oh really yeah okay so it wasn't um, like a something that crept in slowly it was there core to the being yeah of your it family felt and... more natural to interact artistically with others felt far more natural than to have a normal conversation or you know um <laughs> be, I don't know mm. I don't believe in the word normal necessary but we're mega um, normal <laughs> Yeah, I don't know, but I I always craved that normality, Mm. you know, I, you know, I wanted McDonald's and Mm. um, to be like a Barbie doll, you know, all of those things. It's like the grass is always greener no matter what you've got. Yeah. Because a lot of people, they really desperately seek creativity and connection and playfulness Mm. and and that kind of thing. But it sounds like you had it in spades and wanted something else. Yeah, well, I guess because my immediate family was so kind of kilted into one direction that you kind of always want to balance as well what, mm. what and I think that's part of what reaction is and and rebellion mm. it's to kind of counteract what what is around you already mm. I rebelled by not taking art at school um I took music and well in some ways I guess <laughs> pursuing music was a way of rebelling against visual arts because they were all visual artists um, and then I did an English degree <laughs> which which was an um, interesting way of rebelling <laughs> unsuccessful rebel- rebellion I don't know I think I wanted that um, you know that sense of security that comes with doing like something normal that pays the bills really regularly uh-huh. and um, has that kind of predictability and um, that immediate kind of recognition and status that helps you to feel accepted in the world. Yeah, I didn't realise that um, doing an English degree wasn't necessarily <laughs> the best way of achieving that. <laughs> you thought you, that, you that get you into an office with a, with a shoulder suit on or something? Yeah, no, I, th- I think, yeah... <laughs> um, if I'd been more tactical, I think maybe like studying architecture or design would right. have been a good way of using my natural skills to kind of like, yeah, I don't know. I realised very quickly, um, I was trying to do something very academic that wasn't what my soul was here to do. Mm-hmm. I, I think I wanted to, um, I loved reading the, the, the literature and the books, but the way I wanted to respond to them was by writing a song about them instead of an essay. <laughs> um, but they wouldn't accept songs. That's um, so crazy. Why not? <laughs> I know. It's just not fun. I know. It's silly. Yeah. I, I remember I wanted to do my dissertation on, on songwriters um, and to view song as, as literature, which, you know... Um, it's perfectly reasonable. Perfectly reasonable. Um, but it, it didn't get accepted. <laughs> wow, how boring of them. I know. Did you complain to the official bodies above somewhere? I think I think I just can't be bothered in the end. I just Because um, I mean the poetry and, you know, songwriting, it's like the quintessence it's the essence of literature in a way. Yeah. It's like poetic prose or kind of songwriting mm. is like the it's kind of like a, a tincture version. Mm. Mm. Uh, in terms of meaning and heart of, yeah. what, of what literature can bring and and the oral tradition as well you know totally. you it's all started there at medieval literature I mean most people couldn't read then anyway so mm. you know um, how do you remember um, history or um, yeah mm. stories but to to kind of like form them into rhymes and mm. song um. I heard a really sad thing um, the other day it was um, it was someone called Stephen Jenkinson, who's a writer and philosopher, and he's known most famously for his work around death and dying. Mm. And he was talking about uh, in a interview about his latest book, which is about elderhood and elders mm. in society. He talked about the dual the dual epidemic of 
uh, older people getting uh, Alzheimer's and uh, mm. and other sorts of brain diseases, mm. dementia, mm. alongside the um, the epidemic of of attention deficit disorder in children, mm. and he talks about it in the context of. Uh, the elderly not having a role as story holders and story keepers mm. and therefore they're not required to exercise their brain mm. in the way that they historically have been mm. and so their brain is literally rot you know the brain mm. of our society is literally rotting mm. because we've we've taken that away from them in in the way that we've given up on the oral traditions mm. and that the brain therefore doesn't have anything to hold on to mm. and to kind of function mm. Which is a devastating thought, um, and then the other side of the epidemic was this: kid, was kids with attention deficit disorder, was that they don't know they're not being told what's important, mm. and so their their attention is scattered all over the place. But going to going on to the elders and the story and the sort of story and holding of oral traditions, mm. that's something which you're doing through song and choir and being an artist. Do you, do you consider yourself uh, a kind a kind of a person who holds the oral tradition, I guess. Wow. Um, In that ancient way, do you know what I mean? Like a storyteller or a kind of... Do you see yourself as one of those, a sort of bard or something? I would like to consider myself to be a modern conduit. And I think it it is definitely a time um, where there is a challenge in art to tell story in a literal way. Um... Because the stories that are happening around us, um, politically, socially, emotionally, mentally, um, they're quite difficult stories to tell. Mm. And they can be quite heartbreaking and quite, um, I don't know, it's almost like there's so much information now Mm. that so many stories are competing we, we get told so many stories by the news, half of which that we don't even know are true or not. Um, there is there is a breaking down of, of our ability to comprehend. Mm. Um, there is a fragmentation that's happening. And, you know, it's it. up until now, it, it hasn't been very, like, cool, in mm. inverted commas, to be political in your art. Um because it can cause people to switch off or um, to stop listening um, because, you know, there is an argument that art is there to kind of escape from what's what's happening, the difficulty of, the, of what's happening in the world, um, as opposed to, yeah, including it and, and being challenging with it, it and, and being, yeah, being it, with yeah. it. Yeah. Um, and so what I think I, I see definitely in um, how songs are, are now written, you know, you don't, you don't necessarily hear songs like they were written in the 60s and 70s where it's, it's quite, it can be quite literal stories um, about what's happening, you know, Bob Dylan, Joni Mitchell, you know, all of these artists. Yeah, exactly. It can be like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, wonderful. Like such amazing creativity. Yeah. I think there's a real, there's a real um, shyness, uh, kind of a cringe towards leaning into that artistically mm. um, right now. Which I, I, you know, I've been talking about a lot with other artists um, about how to how to engage with what's happening in a way that feels truthful and mm. real. Um, but not only but doesn't towards, fall into the preaching kind of yeah, yeah yeah that's the thing isn't it it's it's um and and i think um you know this like dada approach um what's a dada approach the dada approach so you know dada is is like mm. how to emotionally express in an authentic way that that doesn't literally tell a story but kind of um figuratively and metaphorically it's the spirit does. of it yeah 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 um how to tell the story without telling the story mm. um and so yeah so dada um so, uh, 
many artists have, throughout time have, have used this approach, David Bowie being um, uh, a really good example. So um, what he, David Bowie would he, do... Do the writing of free writing. Yeah, free writing. He'd use like, old diaries and he'd just literally, um, he'd just cut them up. And there'd be this kind of tarot card effect, kind of quite esoteric effect of of then like picking and choosing the lines that then go together. And then from this new combination of, of um, you know, randomness, of, of disorder, of chaos would come another voice that would, would speak through it. Mm. Um, so, yeah, and, 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 and this is a technique that is kind of used in... in mm. And yeah, much creativity and and um, like ceremony as well, and yeah. um, just ways of making sense of the world. Um, fi- finding that thread in the randomness, yeah, um, pulling out the symbols and and the kind of mm. there's it's it's amazing when you kind of enter a. Uh, it's amazing how meaning pops out. When, yeah, when you allow the chaos mm. uh, some space mm. in a funny way. Yeah. Is is the the David Bowie approach to songwriting something you've been exploring in your own work? Oh yeah, definitely. I think um my approach has always been kind of to start with free writing and um either just kind of as a kind of what's happening here and now for me. Yeah. Um or in response to something I wish to write about. Mm. Um and then kind of reading through it and like e- either underlining bits that pop out and speak or to literally cut things up to and, and for some reason that that interaction mm. that physical process of cutting things up um i feel like something happens in the space quite literally um it's kind of making the imagination physical in a way it's like yeah that, that added yeah element of physicality changes mm. the quality of it in some mm. way. it kind of like somehow like invites some other realm <laughs> to join you in the process um yeah and and then and then just like rearranging them maybe adding a, a word in here and there that, that kind of allows it to flow um and yeah i mean i, th- I think it's it's definitely an approach um that that many songwriters take um uh it's one that i i love love to use uh i think the beauty for for the listener is that it then it's that you're communicating the essence of of what it is that um it's a joanna uh, newsom another favorite songwriter of mine she's a harpist she's a harpist she's a harpist yeah um she says that um it only matters that you know what the song is about mm. and yeah i think the beauty of leaving space for interpretation means that a listener there could be thousands of different um responses to the song it can mean thousands of different things Mm, that's the magic of a great song isn't it yeah it's almost like you can project your own internal experience into the symbolic poetry or symbolic landscape that the song Mm. provides for you Mm. it's kind of like um yeah there's the best songs you can almost listen to in in any different kind of condition, mm. whether you're in heartbreak or in t- total celebration. But there's room for you mm. within the song or mm. something. Mm-mm-mm. How do you describe your your music? It's not an easy question. It's not. How do I describe? Because I mean, it? obviously, music is. I mean, hopefully, you'll, you'll have mm. there'll be a bit of we can you can share some music with me, which I can mm. put onto the podcast yeah, at, sure. at the tail end or at the beginning sure. or somewhere in the middle even, mm. and we can kind of cut it in. But um, and it's mu- music communicates itself. So yeah. talking about music is mm. is not necessarily the most uh, mm. obvious thing to do. But I'm mm. I'm interested in how you see your where you sit within the within the bigger picture of music because mm. music's huge. It's mm. as big as humanity and mm. its complexity and diversity. And mm. um, I think to put it quite simply, um, and maybe this is an annoying answer, but listen uh, <laughs> later <laughs> uh, yeah um for me music is a feeling yeah that's what it comes down to it it it, it is just emotion it is pure feeling and the the sounds with which that feeling um 
wants to be communicated and expressed then dictates the form of of the music and Mm. then what other people would you know how they would choose to then put it into to corresponding Mm. boxes um but essentially it always comes down to feeling and if if our if that feeling isn't there then it isn't music Mm. um wow that's an interesting thought so there's there's a lot of empty sound out there for you in terms of pop music or other types of not necessarily pop music but if it doesn't convey feeling then it's failed at the singular objective of being music because there's a lot of music for, I'm, I'm with you on that mm. I, like, I feel the same mm. like if music mm. doesn't make me feel something I'm, I'm kind of not interested mm. but then it's it, you know with that said it it's always going to be so different for every single person what that feeling is mm. um, and um, what it is that makes them feel something and what it is they want to feel mm-hmm. as well because it's functional mm. in the sense that you know, as a product, it is selling you a feeling. Mm. Um, you know, I, I kind of, I almost see um, everything I buy now as as not a thing um, in itself, but more so a um, a vehicle of my own experience, my own emotional experience. So, like, you know, depending on on what situation I'm in, how I'm feeling that day, like a cop cup of coffee could be um a cup of of like excitement and exhilaration or it could be a cup of of total anxiety and <laughs> wow. meltdown <laughs> so it's like a world of potentials so yeah like a potential experience that can come from any one thing mm. yeah interesting way but um of- so you know in terms of like what you're wanting to feel like for you know if i'm not wanting to feel something that a particular pop song is selling me yeah <laughs> you know then it's it's not going to motivate me to want to buy it or listen to it yeah. um but for someone else that that might be exactly the the product feeling that they're, that they're wanting to yeah so that that works for I them that, great i have that most heavily with with uh, horror films i can't stand watching horror right. films i just like <laughs> why would you want to like induce a sense of anxiety over a couple of hours mm. um i mean you know <laughs> Everyone's, Everyone's. but then with horror films the interesting thing is that if you then really speak to people about why they watch horror films mm. there can be like quite a profound process that can happen for them um i think i mean when i think back to when i used to enjoy the challenge of watching a horror film you know as a teenager yeah (laughs) it's like it's that the whole like going on a roller coaster thing you um you know that it's not real and you're safe but it's that exhilaration and that that kind of going right to your edge seeing how far you can go and then afterwards like returning back to the safety of your normal life so do you like horror films no (laughs) (laughs) You're selling it to me. Um, I, I'm interested in. I'd like to know what your what your dream is, if you have one, about your own um, your own your future as an artist, as a musician. What to you would constitute uh, a sort of sense of deep satisfaction and uh, yeah, sense of not arrival because that's the opposite of what creativity is about because it's always in the process, but mm. a sense of real fulfilment in your creative process as an artist, as a musician. What does that look like? Hmm. I, I guess I have to go back to what it feels like. Mm. Um, I think I've wasted too much time thinking about what it looks like and not spent enough time Um <clears throat> really like feeling into what it feels like Mm. um and um I think what it feels like is 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 pure connection um with myself 
with something that feels bigger than myself and everything but you know everything about this human experience and um then what connects me to to others um and i think yeah every time that i try and do something that's a bit bigger than what i've done before or a bit scarier or a bit more daring and risky um the only way I can motivate myself to move forward um, is to really come back to the intention of what it feels like, mm. which is is um, yeah. I guess it's obviously a connection, like I said, but it's a sense of oxygenation. Is that even a word? Um, yeah, feeling like you're breathing, mm. you know, and and that. Um, you're just creating a really beautiful ultimate life experience um, that when you are 80 years old, looking back on your life, you feel so grateful to have had and shared mm. and, um, yeah, been a part of. Mm. Wow, what a lovely image. I've got you, <laughs> I've got you sat there. <laughs> In your late 80s, <laughs> chuffed to bits, just listening to the piece <laughs> with a stack of records behind it, all of which got your yeah. name on the front. Yeah, I mean, it all, it all sounds very nice, but, you know, like down on the ground, it's, um, <laughs> you know, like, oh, no, I haven't done this, oh, yeah. chasing my tail, da, 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 da. Yeah. oh, get back to the feeling, the feeling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Because it's not easy being an artist and a musician in these times. I mean, that's something that I'm really, like, constantly reminded of. We've got lots of creative people in this community and lots of people who are all exquisite musicians and artists and um, making a living from being an artist nowadays mm. uh, is something which is increasingly hard. Mm. And uh, gone are the days of big record deals where you kind of get looked after and it's sort of... I mean, this still exists, right? But it's like, it's a very different landscape and it's much, much harder to mm. get people to even pay for music. Mm. Um, there's a sort of devaluing of the, of, the music, mm. of, the, of the musical output of product, of, mm. of albums, of songs. People don't expect to pay for it anymore. Mm. They expect to pay Spotify or a bit to iTunes, but they're not really in the business of actually paying for the industry. Mm. Um, so it's all shifted and that's a whole conversation there in terms of like, um, you know, what is it to be an artist in these times? Mm. But one of the things that really inspired me to want to talk to you, um, as part of the, the podcast about new navigators mm. is this feeling that you're, you're doing, you're doing both and, and when I say both and, you're doing both your music and your artistry and following that passion, while also um, making a direct contribution to a sort of wider uh, field of benefit um, through the work you do with your choirs, mm. particularly. Um, and I know you teach one-to-one um, -one and other things as well, but um, that you, you're kind of managing to live by your passions and at the same time make a tangible beneficial impact on other people's lives mm. and that is such a rare thing i think and that's why i want to celebrate you mm, um, thank you because it is really special you know and maybe you just can't do anything else that's just you and you know it's like a calling a niche within your you know you that's your calling you're there showing up to your calling um but i'd like to sort of explore a little bit about um how you came to be running choirs and also to talk a bit about the Murmuration Choir, which has been this, like, blow-up success, really, in such a short amount of time. Um, so, I guess, starting with, um, yeah, the delicate balance of, of, of running choirs as a, as a sort of bread and butter in order to support you as an artist, starting there, mm. and then maybe exploring more into, why the Murmuration Choir? Where did that come from? <laughs> Yes, it was all very accidental, really. I, I really kind of felt um, 
like many <laughs> of the things that happen in life that go well, it's it's um, often accidental and um, not necessarily trying to make it happen. It's it's a collaboration with you and and the universe, like something about what you want and something that is needed. Um, you know, a, a meeting point between those two things. Um, I guess for me, a cappella harmony has been um, in my life since I was a child. Yeah, I, um, so my mother's side um, come from a long line of clergy. My, I was christened by my great-grandfather. He was a, a vicar in, in Norfolk um, at Booton Rectory. In that, somehow, genetically, um, there is song, there is singing. Um, as as a, a vicar, you need to be able to hold your own vocally. Um, yeah, I don't, don't think there are any professional singers um, necessarily in that bloodline. But we um, play with the fields and scatter <laughs> the casino. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I guess the the kind of of using voice with purpose, and also um, in communion with others, and there's only really something that I've that I've recently kind of connected the dots with, um, and even ever said out loud to others. I think I've always been shy to say it out loud, but it feels significant because. You know, I'm not. I'm not a vicar. Um, I don't want to be a vicar. But that. Um, but you have a flock. <laughs> yeah. A flock of birds. Yeah, there's um, evidently something um, that has allowed this situation to happen. Um, that that hasn't necessarily been my choice. It's been a part of a bigger story. Um, I I, I didn't actually grow up. Um, singing in the, with the Church of England, which is um, what my family kind of were, were a part of um, religiously. I, I went to a Baptist church, which was really happy, clappy, loads of a cappella harmony singing, mm. um, quite a euphoric connection to, you know... The divine. The divine. Mm. And I, I really felt like I experienced that connection to others and that which is bigger than us um, at a very early age. And um, yeah, I feel like I did all my uh, harmony training there like from the age of seven into my teens when I began rebelling and asking questions. Um, and um, But that, that need to stay connected to that, that feeling that I, that I had from that, which was very healing for me um I think yeah coming from a family where there are many divorces and um instability um singing with with others was 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 my home so for me acapella harmony is it's like it's not a choice it's a spiritual home for me and um when I'm not running choirs I literally get like withdrawal symptoms I, I don't know who I am um yeah so it's 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 a it's a need it's um I, and I feel very addicted to my work in that sense like it um, it's a very healthy addiction <laughs> yeah yeah I do I do kind of um wonder sometimes but um yeah no, I talking, think talking of addiction you you've been working with the bristol drugs project mm, mm. Um, and running a choir for them um yeah for about four years wow since i first arrived that. in bristol oh um it's some of the most profound work that i've ever had the honor to do and be a part of um such an incredible organization and community of people such a variety of backgrounds and walks of life and not only in um kind of the the, the clientele the people um who use the services but also the volunteers and um the service workers um such an incredible mix of people and many incredible musicians um like Sophie who I run the choir with initiated an orchestra 
with um, with Bristol Drugs Project as well, um, which again has has been yeah responded to in in quite an incredible way and just watching video of their first performance is like quite astounding it's very very moving with um you know much of the music that we do with that project very simple but i have found myself having the most amounts of goose pimples Mm. (laughs) and hair standing on end um than i have you know in many other musical situations is that something to do with the being able to see the the therapeutic quality of the music and the act of singing for people who are in their own way suffering mm. what is it that, that kind of gives you the goose pimples is it the the, the sound of the, just the sound of the voices coming together or is i mean obviously it's a mixture of these things again i think it has to come down to the feeling yeah. you know it's it's like people who have felt such a need to um you know be drawn to addiction to um, escape yeah display such a an even greater need for connection because the opposite of addiction is connection yeah um so wow. that capacity that ability to connect with the music um to feel it mm. has been um so much deeper than so many other people you know other groups that I've worked with mm. um and and I think it's that that, that has moved me so much mm. um and then to see the again the healing and the the trust and the bond that comes from that and the the friendships that blossom and um the positive alternative community which then supports yeah healthy ways of living mm. um that all comes from that you yeah. know that shared experience of, of being allowed to really feel what you feel mm. I did a podcast with um, Dr Duncan Still who's mm. a, a friend who's been uh, helping to introduce integrative medicine into the UK mm. and um, we talked a little bit about prescribing poems mm. um, to some of his patients and I have this feeling that music and particularly singing should be something which um, we could we prescribe mm. because it is just so healing. It's something that mm. in my life I've been lucky enough to grow up with singing around and my mum's mm. a, a quiet addict, I would say. Mm. Um, and the communion of coming together, but also that sense of connection through the voice, which is such a place of trust. Mm. You know, the voice is the first thing to get squeezed and tight. Mm. No, people scratch you. And Mm-mm. allowing that space to open up, to allow the channel of emotions to move between heart and head. And, you mm. know, it's such a beautiful thing. Mm. Um, yeah, maybe we should, maybe there should be courses for the... I should ask Dr. Duncan whether it's part, part of his... Uh, new course on holistic medicine yeah Singing i love it sh- i love the- it <laughs> yeah well um yeah just the idea of prescribing a song yeah because sometimes like you know that song that that song yeah. um uh last night a dj saved my life oh yeah you know it's like sometimes <laughs> one piece of music can literally save you yeah yeah has saved lives um <laughs> Um, yeah. Is there a particular warm up or song you use as a sort of medicine to get their get their juices flowing? It's something that's so personal and it's so individual, and it, it is it is literally this, like you say, and it is really great hearing you say that. Um, it's like how to be your own doctor and to prescribe yourself the the, the medicinal songs that that um, you are needing mm. and that treat your sickness your or your, your need. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, it's a really wonderful way of, of um, seeing it. And um, and I think it, it's it's like there's only so many suggestions, unless I really know somebody. Um, or there are other, you know, tried and tested songs that I've done with others that I feel like might be appropriate. Um, but that process of, of um, self-discovery and self-awareness um, and ownership um, and self-parenting, um, I think, is, is such a part of that, 
that process of deciding what is it that I want and need to sing. Um, and some people are like really intuitive and they just know. Some people are, are totally clueless. Um, and um, yeah, but I think, like I said before, it always has to come back to feeling. Like it has to move you. Because you just, you literally, you cannot make it sing. You can't make a song sing unless it moves you, mm. um, it, unless it makes you feel something. And again, that's going to be so different to each person. Like one person might really feel one song and it could be such a simple song, um, but because they just feel it so much, they sing it so well. Mm. But, you know, give that song to another person who's not feeling it and... It might, it might sound dreadful, might make them sound as though they're a terrible singer, but then you get them singing a different song that they're really feeling and suddenly mm. all the vocal technique slots into place because um, that's what happens in nature when, mm. when things are aligned, um, everything works for you. Mm. Um, you know, there's, there's uh, little tweaks that you can mm. do to aid the passage of, of the voice, mm. but actually the song choice itself um, allows for the technique to support the singing of it. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm just, I'm just thinking of one song um, that I did with a student recently Um Oh goodness, Eartha Kitt. It was an Eartha Kitt song. I want to be evil. <laughs> <laughs> it was just the most one of the most delicious songs I've ever done with a student. <laughs> and because it's just so naughty, it's so like for its time as well, for a black woman to be singing this song, um yeah, like it's such such a statement. Um and um it just like reveling in that self permission um, that Eartha would would have been you know would have had to have given herself to sing this song, um, and uh, yeah, the the self permission that then comes with singing it, um, it's it's a great song. You wow. should yeah have a listen. <laughs> Being a choir leader, and maybe reluctantly or not, you are in a way creating a, a congregation or a flock you know from this long line of pastors and preachers and you know it you might not ascribe to a particular religious set of values or mm. you know you might not have a church mm. but you are um bringing people together mm. to experience unity and oneness mm. um which is kind of what the vicars of old mm. have have been doing mm. and you know, you could say that religion in its breakdown, um, which has been necessary, um, has left us a bit lost. Mm. Um, you know, we've got money and science and and mm. human rights as our belief systems, but we don't necessarily know how to organise mm. ourselves. It's cr- crucially, mm. humans have a need to get together and sing. Yeah. And you are providing a massive opportunity for people to do that. Mm, mm. And um, that's to be celebrated. Mm. And I thank you because I'm a part of your choir. <laughs> and, and that's kind of how we know each other. Yeah. And I really, really enjoyed singing with you and with the rest of the, the starlings. It's been great to have you. How did this murmuration choir come about? Um, so, like you have said, there is a huge need for, for congregation. Um, there's a huge deficit, there's a huge gap, gaping, like empty space where, you know, church used to be for, for most people. And it's not that in, in their doc, you know, in their, in their essence and their doctrine, religion is bad at all like you know the words that Jesus spoke were only ones of love and it's man who has interpreted the interpreted the, and woman and woman yeah <laughs> although all of those chapters of the bible got left out but yes um um all humans um yeah there has been a twisting of this message for it to then turn into one that generates feelings of guilt and shame and judgment and fear and that isn't helpful to us um, personally or socially. Um, and 
you know, myself as well, the reason why I stopped going to the church that that empowered me to find my voice in the first place was because of homophobia, was because I was told that members of my family were going to hell if they didn't believe in the second coming and those things. And it's, you know, basically unnecessary, you know. Um, when we believe that we are essentially good, we are 10 times more likely to do good things and to see the good in others, which then enables goodness in others. The, the need for spaces that can do this, that can facilitate this are great. And I really see that as, um, you know, yeah, and, and this is no, in no way, um, um, hmm, yeah, disacknowledging the presence of um, the church and and kind of radical church leading and, and ministers who who are really trying to connect with younger generations and move Christianity and you know faith into into um, a more modern realm, which is meeting the need that there there is. You know, you've got the Church of Beyonce in in uh, in New York, which. Um, yeah, Seriously? yeah, it's it's a it's a church basically for um, the Church of Beyonce. The Church of Beyonce, wow, because she she represents um, the outcasts, um, you know, people of color, um, people of varying sexualities and gender identifications, um, and the, the 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 teaching basically of the Church of Beyonce is that all are welcome and. Mm. Um, and and then they also sing very contemporary music, which is you know the songs of Beyonce. Um, so I think there's also like there's two things happening there. There's not only like the congregation, um, which as the presence of the church and in many you know most people I know are, are, don't go to church. Um, not that they they don't don't identify as being spiritual. Um, there, there is there's a real need to a container to be nurtured um, and allowed and seen and heard um, and the rise of the choir in emotion is only one of, of countless choirs that um, you know I can't speak for other countries but in England especially um, you know the presence of the natural voice network and um, yeah just so many other community choirs popping up in in places of work in schools in fire stations in it's hospitals. going on everywhere it? it's, it's happening it's everywhere rife. you know it's, it's so, I, you know a big <laughs> fan of gareth malone you know what he's done is is, is um uh, Sorry, gareth malone, malone. <laughs> uh, um yeah so you know some people dislike him but um i think he's great he's, he's basically encourage people to sing together and has um yeah, um, established choirs in many different, um, I guess, like no, non-traditionally musical places. So lots of places of work, like fire stations and um, hospitals. And um, uh, okay, so he's taking the choir out of its typical kind of kind of village hall setting. Yeah, and turned it into you know how can we use this to bring community together? Like, mm. so um, he's using it as a, as a particular tool. Mm, and, and mm. He's a musician. Or, uh, he's he's a he's a choir leader. He's a choir leader yeah. in the southwest. In in the world. Oh right, he's, he's, he's really like, he's, he's like, really famous. Oh, so he's sorry. So <laughs> he I'm like showing a, my ignorance here. He, so he's <laughs> like he's like the top of the choir leaders game. He, well, he 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 ran a, a series. He ran a series for the BBC. Oh, did he? Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. So sorry, Gareth, if you're listening. <laughs> I'm, I'm starting to feel that you're really important and we should meet. But, um, but going back to you for a minute, so there's lots of choirs in the UK, but you've you've not only got the uh, Bristol Drugs Project Choir on the go, but you've also got this Murmuration Choir, mm. which is a lovely name and instantly makes you, uh, instantly brings to the imagination this this flock of, of, of tiny little beings all magically moving as one. Mm. Um, throwing shapes in the sky <laughs> and um, it's been from my, a personal place of, of, of being in that choir it's been great and there's lots of different choirs in Bristol to choose from and you know mm. all like, like we were just saying all over the UK there's choirs mm. um, tell me a little bit about your vision and plans for the Murmuration Choir because it's sort of not just about singing in the village hall is it 
No, I guess for me personally, and again, um, you know, I began this particular project after, you know, 10 years of running choirs. So it's, it's not just um, something that's happened in isolation. It, it's been a product of many, many, many years of, of groundwork running other projects, choral projects and vocal projects. And also, you know, it has been a dream in the making for many, many years, like the um, the idea to call this project Memoration Choir, you know, that was, was probably the seed of, of it, um, which came to me many years ago. Um, and for me, you know, it, it, it's a, it, in many ways, it's a, it's a really selfish pursuit, you know, in the best possible way, like so many of the things that are most giving in the world and most useful to others are the things that start out as being truly serving to um, yourself, to what you're needing. For me, on a practical level, on the ground level, it's like, why did I want choir in my life? Um, what did I need from, from this experience? Um, how could I create a situation where I didn't feel like you know, I had teaching over here and music making over here, where could they kind of come together and, um, yeah, form an alignment. And I wanted to grow as, as a leader and as a um, vocal music arranger as well. So for me, this is, this is my desert island discs. Um, this is, this is, these are, these are the pieces, the pieces that we sing are by artists who, directly inspire me as an artist um kind of quite six music um very contemporary um more like left field pop people like Bjork and Imogen Heap and James Blake and um yeah more like neo soul influences like Jill Scott and trip hop influence like influences like Lamb and um Blockhead and Bonobo and um so for me, it's it's been a really wonderful indulgence um, to just like get right inside the music. I've come from a very community choir background, um, you know, where it's come as you are, everyone can sing, and I really truly believe this, and I still believe this. Um, but also, I'm a trade singer, and um, I I want to grow myself vocally. I want to. Um, really yeah be in communion with with people who really take their craft seriously and are totally dedicated to to, to shaping that craft and are wanting to work at, at a, um yeah a more advanced level you know and that's not at all um to say that other people aren't welcome um all you people in community choirs don't worry you're just <laughs> as important as everybody else yeah it's just it, it's really <laughs> comes down to how how much so it's stretch. It's about stretching yeah, your own artistry as well as like providing a context for people yeah. to come together in that yeah, way, which yeah. is brilliant. Yeah. And you say it's indulgent, but it sounds like uh, this immersive way of working with material that you really truly love is also mm. a great way of inspiring people to love, you know, mm-hmm. to love it too, and a great way to be leading because you're, you know, you're inviting people into something you adore. Mm. Um, I had the sense. I get the sense that the choir is also about kind of providing a more of a sort of a meeting place. Mm. Um, mm. A lot of the people in in the Memoration Choir are artists in their own mm. right. Mm. Tell me something about that. Um, yeah, I guess um, again, it can be very it's pursuing anything that's important to you and is very individual and very. Um, unwalked path because it is your path um it can be lonely it can be really lonely and um it can make you question whether you are you know on the right path and whether this path is valid and um and really what 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 makes things magical in life is is sharing it with others um yeah, and, and so for me, I really wanted to, to create community for me, you know, around um, the music that I love, 
but also professionally, um, a community that that really shares the same values, um, and yeah, working on the same level. Like I really feel like, yeah, the people in in the choir are are my peers. Mm. Um, I'm collaborating with them um, rather than, you know. Yeah, you know, there is le- there is leadership, obviously, but um, yeah, generally, it feels very equal in terms of skill level and experience level, which is very fitting for the murmuration. Yeah, because each bird, in a way, is is leading each other. Mm. There's mm. something very beautiful in that image mm. that seems to fit how you're running it. Yeah, and and there's so much skill in the group, you know, and and there are people who have way more skilled than I do in a certain aspect of music, like, you know, like sight reading or like rhythm or vocal percussion or body percussion or, um, you know, being a soprano or a bass, you know, and, um, yeah, or being kind of really advanced in their own music careers as well. And I really want it to be a music, a, a meeting place for people to learn from one another mm. Um, I, I really want to start um, opening the opportunity up for different people in, in the group to lead sessions and um, workshops, masterclasses, um, to share share their skills mm. and um, be rewarded for that and seen and heard for that. And because, um, yeah, the, the, the beauty of it requires that you, you do get to connect on on a really deep level with sometimes complete strangers um but the drawback sometimes is that because you're doing more singing than speaking you you sometimes don't even know who you're you're singing next to or with which is beautiful you know that's that's one of the the beauties of yeah mm. harmonies it, it can unite strangers mm. um you've um you've been focused on the there's the gigs for Murmuration Choir focused on some really interesting collaborations. Mm. Um, and I think it's the second, I'm right in thinking, it's, you've had two concerts so far and there's mm-hmm. another one scheduled. Mm-hmm. And I'd like you to just mention something about the... So you've been working with some amazing artists for the first concert. Who, who was your collaboration on the first gig? Um, so we were lucky enough to have uh, the wonderful Rachel Dad um, uh, sing with us in in the altos. Um, so as a part of the choir, um, so she is quite an established uh, contemporary experimental folk artist um, who uh, spends half of her time in Japan. So she's got this wonderful international artist yeah she's got a a wonderful uh, approach and perspective on music which is kind of you know an objective perspective when you're in another culture Uh and you see something just in a completely different way almost through your child's eyes and then coming back to your own culture and again like re-experiencing that and she's got such a wonderful playful approach to to music making Mm -hmm. um so we uh collaborated with her uh in our first concert um, which is also supported by Ava Osbiston, who's also a, a, an alto in, in, in the choir. So each, each concert we basically want to use the artists that who are in in the show, in, yeah. in the choir to, to kind of um, yeah showcase what they do um, and receive support and celebration for that. The most recent concert we did with um, Sam Brooks, um, who again uh, is a member of the choir and uh, sings for the basses, and um, yeah, Exquisite he's voice. oh my goodness, he's just like another Tom York, um, it's heavenly, um, and again, just such a treat to be inside his music. Um, we I think we sung about three of his pieces. Um, and what's lined up for the yeah, next one? And yeah, so our next show will be with Cosmo Sheldrake, and. Um, yeah, we're very excited about that. Does, gonna... does he know that you you were going to be called Cosmo if you were? <laughs> I don't think he does actually. <laughs> Maybe I should tell him. Um, Very exciting, and that gig's coming up when? On the fourth of July. Great in yeah, Bristol. Yeah, in Bristol. So once one thing I'd like to ask you, one thing I'm going to ask you is about teachers. Mm. Um, we each have teachers in our lives mm. that allow us to f- find confidence in who we become. Mm. Um, and I know that 
on a kind of personal level, you have meditation as a teacher mm. in some way. Mm. Um, I'd like to share you know, what role does meditation play in your life? And also um, maybe how do you find wisdom or guidance mm. within within the context of your work? Because it can be quite a lonely thing mm. going from choir to choir or from musical project to musical project without mm. a kind of team. Mm. So if you could just talk to that a little bit, about how you find your... Wow. Um, I guess it's, a, it's an ongoing process. Um, it's a process of finding and refinding. Mm. Um, and with every project, there's a new lesson, there's a new thing to find. Mm. Um, and as you grow older as well, your body has all sorts of surprises for you. Mm. Um, yeah, I think, um, where do I find wisdom? Or who are your teachers? And guidance. I've had so many teachers. Mm. I, I don't think I've ever found like just one teacher who is, you know, my guru. Um, I think I have always wanted to find that person, but I don't know if it's realistic to hold out for for that, you mm. know, like you know, there's there's the idea that every person that we meet in this life is a teacher if we choose to see and hear what 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 it is that they're teaching us, you know, even the people we dislike the most. Um but I think yeah, there's definitely um I feel like in my own teaching practice, um, there is a consolidation of of all that I've learned from all people and all teachers and practices um, that probably, you know, contributes to the teacher who, creating the teacher in me who I would ultimately love to be my guru, mm. if that makes sense. Mm. Um, because maybe that's the only place where your true teacher can exist is inside you. Mm. Um, but yeah, there's many practices that I use, uh, meditation being one of them, um, I, I do daily transcendental meditation, um, which I find very grounding, very just like resets everything. Um, just coming back to center, back to zero, back to your starting point. Um, obviously nature um, is the ultimate teacher and you know, that doesn't necessarily even mean having to go for a walk in nature. It's returning to the true nature in you. You know, we are nature. And um, walking in nature helps us to connect with that inside us. But I think it, that can sometimes be tricky living in a city where you don't always, um, yeah, have direct access to you know when I say nature I mean like wilderness mm. you know like the wild not mm. just a field or a park but um yeah that which is untamed that that which that that which is just it you know that just is mm. um and um yeah you, you can find that in in so many spaces mm. um through dance um improvisation um i find to be a wonderful way of like accessing my creature um allowing me to hear my inner creature um i love creativity gurus like uh julia cameron who writes the artist way mm. so she has a method of um doing morning pages um, which I've been doing for years and this is just such a wonderful way of, of like clearing the channels whenever I've got too much going on inside me um, and you know life can get hectic and busy especially if you're self-employed and trying to do something creative it can be really like oh what's going on this mm. that and you're trying to juggle lots of things and spin plates and um, you can't do that if you're feeling cluttered so 
yeah meditation and and just morning pages writing it all out um giving your inner critic a voice and just let letting it air come into the light so it can be seen and heard and put to rest mm. um and um yeah, don't do it enough these days, but just going out for a good dance. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just, yeah. I, nothing, nothing can nothing quite, quite be a good dance. Yeah, good dance. Last night the DJ yeah. saved my life. Yeah, 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 totally. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you for that generous list of teachers. <laughs> we plenty to go on there. Oh, and, and really good food. Yeah. We are what we eat, eh? Oh, goodness, yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Soul food. Um, Isolde Freethale, thank you so much for being uh, a new navigator, for guiding people towards their voices and to connection and to community and for all the great things you do. It's really uh, an honour to, to have you on the show and to have you also as a friend and to be, to be singing with you. So I look forward to much mm-hmm. more of that. Thanks so much for having me. That was the Murmuration Choir singing Golden by Gil Scott Heron, arranged and conducted by Isolde Freeth Hale. If you'd like to know more about the Murmuration Choir, then please go to www.murmurationchoir.co.uk. To find out how to buy any of Isolde's music, please go to her website at www.isoldemusic.com. If you want to connect with Isolde on Facebook or Instagram, her handle is at Isolde Music. You've been listening to The New Navigators, hosted by me, Jamie Pike. I hope you've enjoyed the show. And if you'd like to get in touch with me with any questions or ideas for new guests that might want to come on the show, please send an email to jamie at jamiepike.org. Till the next time. Farewell. <laughs>